listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Glad to have you guys on today. We're going to start in Mark chapter 9. I want you to turn there with me. I'm going to take you to several passages because this, um, this thought process, it, it kind of bleeds through the New Testament, but I want to show you to start off the first and the foundational thing that I thought was just so dumb, so dumb. And um, you'll see it too, but it, it lends itself to a way of interacting with Christ and with God that is just um, wrong and it's, it's horrible. Um, no Christian should interact this way with Christ or with God. Um, and I'm going to show it to you and then I'm going to take you to some other places uh, in the New Testament as well that I'm sure will blow your mind as well because you look at how powerful Christ is, how amazing his power is. It's almost like you can't fathom some of these things, but then you have to ask yourself, have I done this too? Have I also done this? And so, um, take a, take a minute because this is, this is something I want the body of Christ at large to not only hear, to get it into their spirit and let's, and remove this way of thinking and living for the rest of our lives as Christians, especially as the victory tribe, especially as the victory tribe. So um, Hey, Lilia. So I want you to share the broadcast because this is, a, this is an important one. Uh, we're in, uh, Mark chapter nine. That's where I had you turn Mark chapter nine. And, um, we're going to start by looking at this story. We use this story a lot when we're talking about fasting and prayer. And so I want to deal with this now, Mark chapter nine. I'll give you, um, kind of the background of this. All right. So here are a, a parents that have a son and their son is battling a demon spirit and the demon spirit, um, makes the boy mute. And whenever it comes, seizes him, throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid, which might look like a seizure to anybody that's watching him in 2021. And, um, so here's, here's the deal we have. And by the way, that's what they would say in 2021, isn't it? You know, well, here's, here's a kid. He's got a mental disorder or here's a kid. He's just got seizures or he's, here's a kid that's suicidal. Why would they say that? Well, uh, throws him down. It says, um, in verse 22, it it often casts him into the fire and in the, into the water to destroy him. So I'm sure that in today's generation, they say, well, here's a boy that's just suicidal. He keeps throwing himself into fires. He keeps trying to drown himself in the water. He's just suicidal. He's got a, he's got a, an issue, a mental disorder. Oh, he foams at the mouth. He falls on the ground and becomes rigid. I mean, he's just got seizures. Something's wrong with his brain. But, but Jesus understood and crazy that the parents understood that this was a demon spirit. <laughs> it's not, parents think of it as, you know, our son has a mental disorder. No, they understood even that it was a demon. 
I brought my son to you for he has a spirit. So there's a demon that this boy's dealing with. And uh, I do want to make the point again that many of the things that we deal with uh, in society today, and I've done broadcasts on this, the foundation is a demon spirit. It's a demon spirit. It's not just a mental disorder. It's not a chemical imbalance, although that may manifest that way in the body. It's, it's not, these things are not the root of the cause, but they're just byproducts of the root of the cause. And so here's the backstory. These parents have a son and they know it's a demon spirit and they know that it makes him mute and they know that it causes him to fall down, become rigid, foam at the mouth. They know that it throws him into the fire and into the water so that we're dealing with the demon spirit. And so obviously, um, the, the, uh, the parents have faith or else they would not have tried to first approach the disciples. So first we're not dealing with faithless parents, uh, because it would take faith to bring their son to the disciples and which is what they did first. They brought their son to the disciples. So let's, let's look at, uh, let's start reading with verse, uh, 17, Mark nine, verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Well, so there's a problem uh, in and of itself that we could deal with on a whole nother broadcast. And, and I probably have at some point, uh, I brought the boy to your disciples and they could not cast it out. Um, so that means they tried. Didn't mean they rejected the parents request. It means the disciples tried to cast the demon out and couldn't get it done, which upset Jesus apparently because verse 19 says, and Jesus answered them. Oh, you faithless generation. Now he's not talking to the parents. He's not talking to the parents here. He's addressing his disciples. Oh, you faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. All right. So now let's move to verse 20. Bible says, and they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell to the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. So I want you to see this, that demons can't stay hidden when they get around the anointing. I'm just giving you a few little things before I show you the dumb thing. I'm going to give you a little few tidbits here. Demons can't stay hidden when they get around the anointing. The anointing draws them out and exposes them. Uh, it's, it's the same uh, principle as you saw in Acts chapter 28, right? When Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta and the Bible says that they had started to build a fire and um, when they did, uh, Paul's gathering sticks to put on the fire and, and he grabs for some sticks and a viper jumps out. Well, the fire, the heat of the fire stirred up the viper 
And notice this, the same fire that drew the viper out is the same fire that destroyed it because Paul just shook it off into the fire. In that same kind of way, you start to realize that when the anointing comes through, anytime Jesus was traveling, demons recognized his power and had to expose themselves. That's what they did in Mark 5, here in Mark 9. All these times you can see it. Uh, You you can understand that the demon uh, can't stand the anointing. Demons can't stand the anointing. Charlie asks the question, what's the difference between casting out, binding, rebuking, and loosing? And when do we know which one to do at that time? Oh, that's Angie asking the question, Angie Caraballo. So we are commanded when it comes to demons, we are commanded to cast out demons. We're, we cast demons out. Um, the, you're also asking about binding and loosing where Jesus said, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, and you can, you can bind things that God wants to be bound and you can loose things that God wants to be loosed in the earth, his plans, his purposes. You can bind the plans, uh, and purposes of the enemy. And then of course, rebuking, uh, is just another a lot of times with rebuking, you can rebuke individuals that are uh, taking actions that are anti-Christ based. They're anti-God, anti-word, anti-Christ. It's a form of correction. But demons were commanded to cast demons out. We know that. So notice this. When the boy fell down foam at the mouth, Jesus asked his mother, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, uh, or excuse me, asked his father. And he said from childhood, and it's often cast him into the fire water to destroy him. Now I want you to catch this next phrase because this is the dumbest thing that you could ever say to Jesus. This is the dumbest thing you could ever say to Jesus. Listen, it's often cast him into the fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, (laughs) it was so annoying that this man said this, that Jesus kind of um, mocked slashed was exasperated by this phrase (laughs) because I want to show you something. If you grew up on the King James Bible, right? I want to show you something maybe you've never seen before. Because I understand there's not, many people don't don't read the the King James today, but uh, you may have grown up on the King James. So I want to just show you um, some different translations of this verse. Because the King James renders it in a, in a way that's a little bit misunderstood as to what Jesus was saying and how he was feeling. The man says, but if thou, this is the King James, by the way, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So the man questions Jesus ability. If thou canst do anything. And Jesus said to him, King James verse 23, if thou canst believe, All things are possible to him that believes. So 
here we have it kind of said in a different way that makes it sound like Jesus is is using the if thou canst believe as a phrase back to him. But I want you to see in these more modern translations, Jesus is annoyed or exasperated by this if you can. Because even in the NASB, which is one of the most, they've tried to be as literal to the original text as they can in the manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts, even the NASB translates this, and Jesus said to him, if you can, question mark, break right there, break. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. So see, Jesus is throwing that phrase back at the father. If you can, question mark, let's look at it again in uh, the ESV. It throws an exclamation point. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. New English translation. And Jesus said to him, if you are able, question mark, all things are possible for the one who believes. That's the New English translation. Let me give it to you. This is what really made me start studying this years ago when I first got a hold of a New Living Translation. Here's the NLT on this. Verse 22 and 23, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. That's the father. Look at Jesus. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And so I want you to get this, no matter which modern translation you're reading this from, I mean, we can, we can also go back to uh, the uh, Amplified, right? And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything, why all things can be and are possible to him who believes. So the, the understanding here by all of these uh, scholars on, on these boards of translation that are bringing this into the, uh, English language. Um, what are you talking about? If I can, what do you mean? If I can like literally he's throwing that phrase. And, and, and if you look back at the text, you can see that the father is quickly rebuked by it. Like he understands it was stupid because he flips the whole thing. He flips the whole thing. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out. Did you know this? Some manuscripts, this is a, a footnote here in the ESV. Some manuscripts add with tears. The father cried out with tears. Some manuscripts. What did he say? And said, I believe, help my unbelief. You see that? I believe, help my unbelief. So the parents obviously had to have faith that in the ability of Jesus and his disciples, otherwise they would not have brought their son to be healed by Jesus and the disciples. Yep, AJ, we're already mid-rant. And so this dumbest thing that you could ever say to Jesus, if you can, if you can do anything, please help me. 
to God. If you can do anything, please help me. Well, if you're able, please help me. As if Christ, God, the father, the Holy spirit, as if they don't have enough strength, power, anointing resources to help you where you're at. Think about what, what he said. I lost my pen. Think about what he said. If you can, and, and Jesus had to throw it back at him and rebuke him. What do you mean? If I can, all things are possible to him that believes. And he cried out with tears. Oh, I believe help my unbelief. Well, the, the fact that he believes is proven by his action of bringing his son. You know, maybe you could argue that his faith was a little bit hindered by the inability of the disciples to deal with the situation. And so was Jesus, by the way, Jesus was annoyed with them. He knew what they should have been doing and what they couldn't do. And so he rebuked them. You faithless generation, you faithless generation. How long do I have to be with you? But look, Jesus without problem casts the demon spirit. He said, you mute and deaf spirit. I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he's dead. But then Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. That's good. No, it's true. Uh, it does uh, on YouTube, just a guy on the internet said, Hope deferred has to do with you, not with God. And, and that's exactly true because God's not waiting. Why would God have to wait? He's all powerful. But many times there are people in the midst of believing for a miracle. You know, my father used to preach a message that was entitled the season of your faith. <coughs> Sorry, I just got back from Wuhan, China. Um, the, <laughs> the season of your faith, which talks about the time period between when you ask God for something and when it comes to pass in that season there, what he refers to as the season of faith, you have to believe God's promises. You have to believe what you said. You have to believe, um, literally what the word says and not come off of your faith in that season of waiting. So notice this, then the disciples said privately, why couldn't we cast the demon out? See, they still were in the dark. They didn't know. How come we couldn't cast the demon out? Look at his answer. He said, because this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some manuscripts add and fasting, prayer and fasting. He's talking about a life of dedication. Jesus was teaching them, not the reason. He didn't say there, well, the reason I could cast it out is because I'm the son of God. That's not what he said. He said, if you ha would have been praying like I pray, you would have cast it out with ease, but your prayer life is not where it should be. That's what Jesus was teaching them. And so the dumbest thing that anyone could ever say to Jesus or to God or to the Holy spirit, if you can, Lord, if you can help me, if you can help me out of this situation, what a stupid thing to say. Of course he can. Of course he can. Just to show you that from scripture, we know it's true. I mean, I know I don't have to show this to you as the victory tribe, but it's good to have scripture behind everything you believe. Uh, the Bible is teaching here. 
In Ephesians 3.20, Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. It's, it's, and he's referring to God. Now unto him who is able, he is able to do what? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's speaking about Holy Ghost power. Holy Ghost power. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works or at work within us. So we don't ever have to doubt whether or not God can do anything. We know he's able to do anything, literally anything that we can believe him for. Notice this now. And, and, the, and the thing Jesus had to throw back at them was, what do you mean if I can? L- let, me, let me show you another. Uh, Jesus was constantly testing uh, where his disciples' faith was at. Uh, if I can end a sentence with a preposition. Notice this, John chapter six. It's not the only time these things had happened. Go to the gospel of John chapter six and Jesus was testing them because these, these disciples needed to get to the place where they didn't have any doubt about what God could do and what Christ could do in the natural realm. You know, it's one thing to throw everything over into the spirit. And I think it, it's a mistake to do that personally. You th- people throw everything over into the spirit realm, you know, where they're like, yeah, well, you know, God's working it out in the spirit and all things in the spirit, they're working together. And, you know, one day we'll understand because true faith, true faith can do what? Take what's in the supernatural realm and pull it out into the natural realm. You know, what good does your healing do remaining in the, in the supernatural realm? What good does your financial blessing do remaining in the supernatural realm? Now we know we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. There are no more blessings to be blessed with. Everyone is ours. So the question is, what good does it do to leave those things in the supernatural realm if Christ purchased them, provided them, and there they are waiting for us? Faith can take what is unseen. Here's what I want you to get. Faith can take what is unseen and pull it out of the unseen realm and into the seen realm. Well, you know, when we look at um, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the book of Matthew, what is one of the phrases that are, that is in that prayer? Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that we are praying, believing, standing in faith that what his will is in heaven would manifest in the earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So faith can reach into the unseen realm of what's going on in heaven and pull that into the earth. There's no sickness in heaven, no depression in heaven, no anxiety or suicidal thoughts in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no brokenness in heaven. So these are things that by faith, because they're promises of God, they're, they're part of our covenant that can be grabbed and pulled into the supernatural realm by faith. And so Jesus was always testing to see where his disciples were because of the fact he wanted to know, 
Are you at that level now where you can believe me, where you can do the works that I do? Because remember what he said, John 14 and verse 12, the works that all that I do, you shall do also and greater works than these, because I'm going to be with my father in heaven, which means catch this now, which means he expected them to be able to operate by the Holy ghost, reach into the unseen realm and pull things into the natural realm the way he did because he was sending them the Holy spirit. So we should never doubt it. All things are possible. But now we go to the gospel of John chapter six. Notice this. He's always checking to see, do you believe the unseen can become seen? Uh, Jesus is about to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And the Bible tells us that they all followed him out into the wilderness. And verse five, John six, five, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, here's another test for a disciple. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Look at verse six. Now this is key. He said this to test Philip for he himself knew what he was going to (laughs) do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He didn't need an answer from Philip. He's the most high. He did not need advice from a natural man because in his spirit, he had an understanding of how he was going to do what he was going to do. So catch it. Philip answered him, well, Lord, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And look at this. What's Philip's answer? We don't have the resources. It can't be done. So now (laughs) Philip is actually saying to Jesus, you don't have the, we don't have the ability. You or we don't have the ability to feed this crowd. Now here's what blows my mind. These disciples have been with him at this point. They've seen greater miracles. They've seen greater miracles than the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen supernatural things happen. They've seen the water turn into wine. Uh, they've, they've, they've seen Jesus uh, deal with the woman in Samaria. You know, all these different things. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you've got all these disciples, even Thomas, that by the end of Jesus' life, having heard every message Jesus has preached and, and watched every miracle that he's performed, and they still can't believe in his supernatural power. What did Thomas say? Well, I don't believe he's resurrected like he said he would be until I can put my fingers in the nail scars in his hand. (laughs) I mean, literally, here's a disciple. They've heard every message. That shows you if if all it took was uh, faith alone that comes by hearing, if that's all, if hearing alone was all that was necessary Every disciple would have had the greatest faith that you could have ever had because they heard preaching from the perfect preacher, Jesus Christ. They heard every message he preached and Thomas was still filled with doubt. How is that possible? Because it's not just about hearing. One thing that the Bible understands or takes for granted in in its understanding of what it's telling you is that you will believe what you hear, right? Because let's break this down for a minute. I want you to put this in the comments. I can't just hear 
I have to believe what I hear. Put that in the comments section. I can't just hear. I have to believe what I hear. That's very important. I can't just hear. I have to believe what I hear. That's it, Gina. That's right, Leslie. I want everybody to put that in the comments. I can't just hear. Because if all we do is, uh, is sit around and say, well, you know, I heard it. I should have great faith. See, this is what people miss. I'm going to show it to you. If that's true, because, you know, we turn to Hebrews and we, you know, we, we read that verse faith comes by, or excuse me, Romans chapter 10, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. That's not exactly it because here's an example in the Bible that I'm getting ready to read to you where somebody heard the gospel truth and did not believe it. So if that was just true across the board, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, then anybody who heard the word would believe it. Is that not right? If it was just true across the board that anybody who hears the word would just straight up believe it, then faith would come to everybody that's heard. But that's not what happens. And we have multiple biblical accounts that that's not what happens. So let, let me give you an example. John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20 and verse 24. Jesus and Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. They're preaching the gospel. He's risen. This is after the crucifixion. This is now the resurrection. We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. That's not faith. Now, Thomas heard the word from the disciples and still didn't believe. So if faith only comes by hearing, here's an area where it didn't work that way. And look at this. Jesus shows up, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, put your hand here. He said, don't disbelieve, believe. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me catch this now blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's what faith is. You believe it before you see it. I want you to put it in the comments. Faith is believing before seeing faith is believing before seeing faith is believing before seeing. So Catch this now. It's not just about hearing the word. 
You've got to hear it and believe what you hear as true. Do you know there's, there are atheists that believe that, that read the Bible, but they don't believe it. There are atheists that read the word of God for the purposes of debating Christians. They read it, but they don't believe it. They read it to find fault with it. They read it to disagree with it. So if all it took was reading or hearing the word to, to have faith built in your heart, that's not the case. Okay. Let me, let me give you another example of what I mean. If we go back to second Kings, look at this second Kings chapter seven. Here's another example of what I'm talking about. The prophet Elisha during a famine is prophesying that food will be plentiful. And the Bible says, verse one, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. This is the word of God, which is why it became scripture. This is the word of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a sayah of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two sayahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Look at verse two now. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows of it, in, in heaven, could this thing be? And then Elisha said, oh, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat of it. So there's a man that heard the actual word of the Lord from the prophet's mouth. It wasn't even secondhand. It's not like, hey, did you hear what the prophet said by this time tomorrow? No, he was standing there when the prophet came under the power of the Holy Ghost and prophesied. And he stood there heard the word of the Lord. It didn't build faith in his heart. Doubt came out of his mouth. Oh, if God made windows of he in heaven, that couldn't happen. Oh, really? So here's another place, Old Testament and New Testament. And you can get many, many different um, accounts of this uh, where people hear, but they don't believe. And so the problem is, it's not just about hearing. You've got to hear and believe what you heard to be true. You believe what you heard to be true. This is why uh, I always say it this way, where uh, facts can change, but the truth remains the same, right? Put it in the comments that way. Facts can change, the truth remains the same. Facts can change, the truth remains the same. What do I mean by that? Well. Just because something is true in the natural realm doesn't mean that the truth of God's word cannot change that negative thing. For example, I use this uh, analogy or this example a lot. If you were to get a diagnosis from a doctor, right? We're not trying to say that that's, you know, not a fact. We're not trying to say, well, that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. We're not stupid. We're not trying to say that things can't be facts in the natural realm. We're not saying that your marriage is not about to end in divorce and that you and your husband, uh, you know, don't want anything to do with each other anymore. We're not saying that you're not in a place where you don't have enough finances or whatever. What we're saying is those facts can change based upon the truth of God's word. So what the way I look at it is that if my phone was the facts, see, I believe that the word of God 
is above the facts of the world. The facts are there, but the word is truth that's higher than facts. And it, it takes precedent. It takes precedent. So we're not denying facts. We're saying that the truth of God's word will set you free from the facts that are in disagreement with the word of God. Uh, we use John eight thirty two. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free or make you free. So what's the point I'm making? When you hear a word preached, you've got to believe it to be true. See, and this is why. Now, now catch this. I'm going to bring this over to uh, Mark chapter 4. Actually, you know what? Let's go to Matthew 13. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this over to Matthew 13 because I want to talk to you quickly about how we can never put ourselves in this dumb position. I don't ever want to be in this dumb position where I say, well, God, if you can do anything, help me. I don't ever want to have that kind of a, a confession come out of my mouth like, Lord, if you're able to do anything in this situation. No, no, I do not want to. Ever, and I don't want you to ever be in that situation. I don't ever want to say this dumb thing to Jesus or this dumb thing to God to where like, oh, Lord, if you're able to do anything, please help. No. And, and then we got to ask ourselves the question, what causes that to happen? What puts people in that position? Because obviously these parents had heard enough about Jesus to believe enough to bring their son to the disciples and to Jesus, right? It, it's just the case. That was an act of faith. You go to Mark six, Jesus goes to Nazareth. It's not that they hadn't heard about all the things Jesus had been doing. They'd heard, didn't matter to them. They still chose to doubt Jesus when he came to his hometown to do miracles. And that's why he couldn't do any. Because it's not that they hadn't heard of his miraculous works and all that he'd been teaching and all that he'd been doing. They heard about it, but they were in their hearts. They said, wait a second. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary? Isn't, isn't, this, isn't this the one that we know and they, they relegated Jesus to his natural state. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, isn't this the one that was, and they bring it back to that. They heard about all the things that he'd been doing, but they didn't believe in him to be the Messiah or a miracle worker or a prophet. That's why Jesus said a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown. That's where that statement came from because they allowed their familiarity with who he was growing up to cause them to doubt what they heard about him in his ministry. Oh no, he's not a miracle worker. He's not the Messiah. He's not the anointed one. What's up, Olga? You know, that, that's not who he is. No. And they, it caused them to miss out on their miracles because they doubted what they heard and what they saw. So how do we get to the place then where uh, we don't ever end up there. And we said, I'm never going to be in a place where I said, well, Lord, if you can help me, Lord, if you can do anything in this situation, people pray like that. People pray like that. And you can't pray like that and please God. You can't pray like that and, pl and please God. You know how I know the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he exists and 
that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. They believe in his rewards. They believe he's able to reward them. They believe he's got rewards and they believe they're in position to receive the rewards. See what I mean? It's a belief thing. And so how do we, what is it that causes people to miss? Well, let me give them to you quickly before I pray for you. Look, Matthew chapter 13, we're in the place of the parable of the sower. And this is exactly where we need to be to figure this out because we don't ever want to be in the position where we're praying and said, Oh Lord, if you can do anything, people get it. They feel like they get into such trouble, such problems that they begin to pray like that. Lord, if there's anything you're going to don't pray like that, don't be that person. And so Jesus starts to tell them this parable, which explains it all. Matthew 13, let's start reading with verse three. And Jesus told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. It's the third kind of ground. And when the thorns grew up and choked them, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, then starting in verse 18, he explains what all these types of ground are. And you need to get this in your spirit as well. Jesus said, Matthew 13, 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the footpath. So let's break this down. Number one, put it in the comments. Number one, I must understand the word. Put it in the comments. I'm going to give you these three things that will help you. Number one, I must understand the word. So vital. It's so vital. You know, why do you think it is that when we give Bibles to new believers or teenagers or children, we don't give them a translation of the Bible that they can't understand? The reason we don't do that is because of this very principle right here. That when you hear the word, you must understand what it means. You must understand the word. If you don't understand it, the Bible teaches, and Jesus was saying, that the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown into your heart immediately. So we don't give children and new believers and people in 2021 who the average reading level of America is fourth to fifth grade reading level, if you didn't know that, the average reading level in America is fourth to fifth grade reading level. We don't give them a King James Bible. First, in an an archaic language that no one uses anymore, first of all, (laughs) there's fewer people than ever reading. So we're not giving people a book, the word of God 
in archaic language. Why would you continue to put roadblocks in between people and God's word when you have uh, just as faithful, if not more faithful translations of the Bible available in uh, a language that's much easier to understand for the average person? Why would you do that? Why are we putting obstacles in, the, in between people and God's word? So there's a reason that we don't hand somebody that's a child or a new believer a King James version. Now there's people that grew up on it. They still love it, you know, but for the average person, it's not the translation. We're trying to get people to understand the word of God. We're trying to get people, the King James version's written at a 12th grade reading level. And then there's archaic language. So what are you going to do? You're going to hand out a Bible to new believers and children and teens. That's far beyond where they read with archaic language and wonder why they don't, they don't have any interest in reading the Bible. I can tell you why pick me. Whereas the new living translation done by a, 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 a grouping of scholars, a board, a translation board is written at a fifth grade reading level. The ESV is written at a seventh to eighth grade reading level. And they're faithful translations. Now they're both on different sides of the spectrum, but they're both faithful translations. So understand this. Number one, you've got to understand the word of God. If you don't, it's pointless. If you read it for an hour a day and don't understand any of it, you wasted your time. You wasted your time if you didn't understand it. Number two, the second thing that Jesus teaches that we have to get in our spirit. The Bible says he explains it this way. Um, the next one, Matthew 13 and verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So here are people who uh, have not been discipled or rooted in the kingdom of God. So number two, I want you to put it, I must be a disciple. I must be a disciple. You've got to be discipled. I talked about this yesterday. I've got to be planted in the house of God. I've got to be under spiritual authority. I've got to be discipled in the kingdom of God, rooted, strongly rooted in the kingdom of God. So that even if persecution did come, it's not going to drive me away. Do you honestly think that if persecution came to me or my wife, that we're going to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to stand on that word anymore. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. That's not going to happen. In fact, Jesus prophesied there would be persecution. What are you going to do? Run at the first sign of persecution or throw the word down? Let me ask you, if somebody mocked you for being Holy Ghost filled and speaking in tongues, are you going to say, yeah, you know what? That's probably not for today. I'm speaking in tongues is probably not for today. I was wrong. I'm not going to believe what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. I'm throwing that to the side. Are you going to allow persecution to, to have you step outside of the baptism of the Holy spirit? What about prosperity? What about salvation? What about repentance? What about divine healing? You're going to have somebody mock divine healing and say, yeah, I guess healing's not for today. I'm not going to believe the word on that anymore. That's what these people are doing. They got no root. 
They don't know why they believe what they believe. They've not been discipled. They're not rooted in the kingdom. So when persecution comes, they're like, it's like seed that's fallen on rocky soil that doesn't have roots. And as soon as persecution comes, the sun rises in the sky. They wither and die. They wither and die. Why? Because they're not rooted. They're not discipled. They're not planted. And that's why it's so vital that if you're not going to be one of these people that gets into this place, well, God, if you can do anything. No, I know he can. I've been discipled. I'm rooted in the kingdom. I know God's able. I know he's willing. I know he's able. Number three, let's deal with the next one. Jesus said, um, verse 22, Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So two things, two things, peace and contentment. I must be at peace and I must be content. That's number three. I want you to put that in the scripture or put that in the comments, this scripture. That's what Jesus is teaching. People are not content. The deceitfulness are of riches. They're always going after riches. They're always going after money and everything they see happening in society. They'll watch the news, the cares of this world, everything that's going on, what people are saying at work, what people are saying on CNN, what people are saying in the culture. And what happens is, is that when you are controlled by what's going on in the world, what's going on in the news, or if money is driving you, I dealt with this yesterday. Why are people skipping church on Sunday to work more overtime hours at their job? It shows that money is their God, not God. How can we put making money over God? Well, my boss said I had to work on Sunday. Well, tell him you're not coming in and that you have a religious right to worship on Sunday and they can't fire you. Not allowed to fire you for that. That's religious persecution. It's religious persecution. And so I've got to be at peace and I've got to have contentment. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm not going to look it up. So somebody put the reference in the comments for me for that verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Two things that will keep you here so that you're not choked out by the thorns of life when the word comes to you is that you're not running around trying to be uh, pursuing the, the deceitfulness of riches in this world and you're not moved by the cares of this world. I don't care what I see on the news. I'm not moved by it. I'm not moved by it. I don't care what's coming down the pike. I don't care what culture says. I'm not moved by it. The only thing that moves me is this word. The only thing that moves me is this word. Let me ask you a question. When they were screaming on the news last year, screaming, stay in your house, stay socially distanced, don't travel, don't go out. I mean, they were locking everything down. Do you think that was me going, yeah, you know, you're, that's right. That's wisdom. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and stay home. I'm going to call all the pastors that I have meetings scheduled with and cancel them because that just wouldn't be wisdom. Am I going to be moved by the cares of this world? Or am I just going to believe God's word and keep on doing what God told me to do? Let me tell you something. We didn't cancel one meeting. I flew 
dozens and dozens of times, packed on planes with other people. I didn't refrain. Uh, first, there it is. First Timothy 6, 6 through 11. First Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice this. I didn't quit flying. I didn't quit holding revivals. I didn't stop laying hands on people. Can you imagine how dumb I would sound today if I was like, as a faith preacher, if I was like, well, you know, we need to use wisdom. We probably shouldn't lay hands on anybody for a while because we're trying to socially distance. What the heck do you think the purpose of the laying on of hands is? What, what do you think it is? You think, um, yeah, lay hands on somebody for, what do you think the Bible says? Lay hands on somebody and believe for healing unless they have a communicable disease <laughs> or a communicable sickness. Jesus healed the lepers when they were extremely contagious instead of calling them in on the contact tracing hotline and getting them to be arrested and stoned under the law of Moses. Please. It's a joke. I heard, I heard there were ministers. I'm talking about traveling ministers like me that were calling pastors and telling them, I, I'm not going to come because of this lockdown. I'm not going to come. We should probably use wisdom and not do the meeting. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. That shows what you believe about God and his word. I'm not doing that. And we traveled more than we ever have. Laid, I didn't stop laying hands on people. I laid hands on everybody. If the pastor was more comfortable, we turned the live stream off so that people weren't reporting his church to the government. And we brought everybody to the altar, lined them up shoulder to shoulder. And I went down, laid hands and touched every individual, touched every individual. I didn't have a little thing, a hand sanitizer on my belt that between every person I was just pumping in. I wasn't doing that. Doing what the Bible says. You're going to let the cares of this world back you off of what the Bible says? No. You do what the word says to do. And Jesus said, if you allow the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to stop you, the word of God is choked out in your life. That's what would have happened to me if I would have let last year change my method of ministering God's word. I said, well, you know, uh, I, I do want to use wisdom. It's not what the Bible says. Just keep on doing what the Bible says. My revel let me just say something. My revelation and my manifestation of healing, protection, miracles would have diminished. It would have diminished if I allowed that to happen in my life and ministry. It would have diminished. How can I then stand on God's word and say, yes, God's able to do anything except protect me from COVID? I mean, in all honesty, we do what the Bible says. And we're not ashamed of it. And I don't care if people mock or get mad. Do you know all of my family members, all of them, including myself, all of them got hate from culture. My uncle Tim and my uncle Terry that both pastor churches got ridiculed in their cities because they continued to hold services through COVID. There were people, you know, it's funny to me because there's people like, we don't want you to gather because we're really concerned for your safety. And then it's funny to see the, uh, it's funny to see the comments that come in after you keep holding services, even though they don't want you to. I hope you all get COVID and die. It's like, oh, I thought you were concerned for my safety, but I guess, I guess you're really not. Interesting to me. And they, they caught it. My cousin caught it for continuing to travel and hold services. My uncle Tiff, my father, myself, we all caught it. 
I got written up in the Boston Globe because we held a two-week revival in, in the fall in Massachusetts. My father was written up, I was written up, and Pastor Brian Tomes was written up in the Boston Globe because we held a two-week revival in the midst of COVID. And they're making a mockery of what God's doing. I'm just going to tell you something. You're going to get persecution. You're going to get hate. But do you allow the cares of this world to back you off the word? No. No. It's the word above everything else. It's the word of God above everything else. And I don't care about the culture. I don't care about the cares of this world. I don't care about what people say or their persecution. If God said it, I believe it. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And I'm not saying that obviously to brag on me. I'm using it as an example for this scripture because it's God that did it, not me. He gets all the glory for anything that, that took place for any protection I have on my life, for any healing we've experienced for any miracle that's ever taken place. He gets the glory, not me has nothing to do with me other than I believe what he said. It's his system. It's his system, not mine. But let's move on to the final thing before we pray. Look, And Jesus said, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, hundredfold, another a 60, another 30. So again, it goes back. I hear the word. I understand it. I obey it. I hear the word. I understand it. I obey it. And I'm never going to put other things in the natural above what the word of God said. If God said it, that's it. That's it. I stand on it. I believe it. There's no other discussion to be had about it. No other discussion to be had. And so I'm not going to be one of these people. I know neither will you that's going to sit around and pray or be like the disciples. Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. Lord, if you can do anything, please help me. Jesus threw it back on the father. What do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can? All things are possible. I want every person that's watching this uh, to write it in the comments in all caps. All things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible. We sing that sometimes in our services because it's so simple yet so powerful. Only believe, only believe. You've heard the song. All things are possible, only believe. We sing it because it's simple, but it's true. And it's scripture. All things are possible to him who believes. Question is, do you believe? You've heard the word, now do you believe? Because anything, anybody can hear the word, but God's looking for people that hear it and they believe it. And I know there's people that are watching today. You need miracles. You're believing for breakthroughs. You're believing for turnarounds. Well, I'm going to pray for you today. You might be listening on the podcast. You can't write it in the comments, but say it out loud. All things are possible to him that believes. In fact, make it personal and say it out loud. All things are possible to me because I believe. Because I believe. Hallelujah. Never going to question Jesus' ability. Never going to be, I'm never going to question God's resource or his ability. Never. I believe him. I believe him. Father, I pray for those that are watching and those that are listening. Lord, those that have written in by text message that have had 
prayer requests. They're standing on your word. They're believing. I ask you today in Jesus' mighty name, touch your people. We send the anointing out. We send the word out as Jesus did. We send the word of healing to those that are battling sickness today. I take authority over sickness and disease that has tried to harass your life. I rebuke it in the mighty name of Jesus. I command it to leave your body. Lord, let healing virtue flow through their body today by the power of your spirit. Drive out sickness and disease. Every torment, every torment in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, those that are battling with a spirit of infirmity, set them free today by the power of your spirit. From this day, be delivered in Jesus' name. Those that are battling in your mind, I rebuke that depression. I rebuke that anxiety. I rebuke that fear, those suicidal thoughts. Be free in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Be free in the wonderful name of Jesus. I lose joy. I lose peace. I lose love. Perfect love that casts out all fear in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that you're touching your people right now. Lord, I pray for those that are battling in their families and in their relationships. Bring marriages back together. Bring children back to their parents. Bring them into the kingdom, grandchildren. Let this be a year of household salvation for your people in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, for those that are battling financially and believing for a breakthrough, I pray you would give them an instruction about sowing. And as they obey it, it would send them into overwhelming and overflowing blessing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We give you praise and we give you glory. And if you believe it, throw some hands up in the comments, throw some fire up and God's going to speak to you. God's going to give you a word about what to sow today by faith. And there's a, there's an instruction from the Holy spirit that's coming into your spirit. What is it that God's telling you to sow today by faith? Who is it that God's speaking to? He's speaking to you to partner with this ministry, to stand with us. We already have people that are standing and we're believing that as we move into the final six months of this year, God's sending more people to stand with this ministry, the Victory Tribe. Maybe at this point you can't stand at the $85 a month or the $100 a month, but you can stand at 50. You can stand at 40. Do what the Lord is leading you to do and do it by faith. And watch what happens when you believe the word of God and act on it. God's going to bless you financially. You know, I'll say this quickly. Something happened to me and to Carolyn when we learned to sow largely and when we learned to sow sacrificially. Um, something changed when we got outside of doing always what we thought we could do and start to do the things we didn't think we could do. And we, we were amazed and still are amazed at how God continues to level us up all the time. It is amazing. You know, I, I, I think to myself the very first time this was large to us. The very first time that Carolyn and I decided to sow a thousand dollars, it meant a lot. And it seemed so big and so formidable of a, of a seed to sow. We thought, you know, probably at the time we thought, you know, maybe we'll do this once in our life or, you know, it's like sometimes your flesh thinks like that. Like maybe I'll, I'll do this once in my life and you know, that'll be the, the thing. But you start to realize 
When God levels you up, a thousand dollar seed now doesn't seem anything like it used to seem. It's, it seems so standard now that we're doing it all the time, all the time, all the time. And then we had to change our level because once you start to feel that the faith level is no longer there, meaning it doesn't seem to take the same faith to do that thing anymore because of the way that God leveled you up, um, then you move on to do something greater for the kingdom. And I can remember we started to begin to sow $2,500 seeds. And we thought, man, I can't believe we're at this level. God has leveled us up. But it started to feel that again. And so we bumped it up to $5,000 seeds. And it started to feel like, man, I can't believe we're at this place where God's allowing us to do this. And then we bumped it to $10,000 seeds. And I was like, man, you know, and that's gone beyond that now. So you have to be introspective as I've always taught you. You've got to say, what is it? Because you can't compare yourself to somebody else and say, well, he sowed a hundred. I'm going to sow a hundred or he's, he partners at 85. I'm going to partner at 85. No. What will take faith for you? What challenges your faith? And then when you do it, watch as God levels you up. I love to tell Letty's story and she's probably still on listening, but Letty, uh, was at that place after she got saved in the revival in crossroads a few years ago or whatever it was. And she said, you know what? I'm going to start at $10 a week because that's where I'm at. Well, you look at where she's at now and God's blessed her abundantly. And she's continued to level up in partnership with this ministry. And it's all because God did it. But notice what she did. She started where she could start. She started where her faith was and what was a step of faith for her. Well, God honored that. God honored that. And God's blessed her. And God's going to continue to bless her and he's going to bless you. And so I want to encourage you to now to to take a step of faith. Maybe you feel to sow a one-time seed. There on the screen you can see the... Um, the ways to do it, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, hashtag donate, Zelle's available. But if you go to our website, miracleword.com, you'll see all of the ways that you can uh, stand and sew uh, on the website. We even have people that want to, if you want to wire something, if you want to give by cryptocurrency, whatever, that stuff is available. Not yet, but they can do it now. It's set up to do, right? It's just not live on the site. Yeah, it is set up to where you can do that. It's just not live on the site. We're going to put it up soon. But any way that you'd like to sow, sow. But for those of you that want to partner with us, this is what we want to do. We want you to go to miracleword.com and click on the partner page. And there you can set up an account. You can stand with us on a monthly basis and partner. For the month of July, what we're doing is we're sending you John G. Lake on healing. Powerful man of God, powerful book. Uh, This is a man that walked in miracles, signs, and wonders. His life was mind-blowing. And um, here's a man that during a pandemic went to South Africa during the bubonic plague when people were dropping like flies and never stopped his ministry. And God blessed him and used him to bring healing and help. This will be the gift that we send to you this month for partnering with us. Claim it at miracleword.com forward slash offer. And uh, we say thank you. If you do so $1,000 or more. We're going to send you that book, but also one of my favorite study tools, which is the Life Application Study Bible. And we do send this out in the New Living Translation that I mentioned earlier. And it's a genuine leather version. It's a beautiful Bible. And it's a great resource for Christians to go deeper in Bible study. And then, of course, for people that jump on and sow largely, 
They're standing at $5,000, $10,000. We've put something together called the Elite Study Collection, and we send this to you. Best study tools available. We put it in a custom-made box. It's a keepsake for you. It's our way to say thank you. And so that's going to be uh, coming to those that are sewing largely as well. I want to say thank you to everybody that is standing with us. We love you so much. We appreciate you. And then, of course, today uh, at 2 o'clock, Carolyn is going to be um, back with you and on Friday. And so you don't want to miss that 2 p.m. sharp Eastern time. And uh, it's going to be a great day. I love you guys so much. Don't forget, brand new kids material is today. Download it. Get it on our app. Uh, download the Bible study for your kids. Uh, it's all at MiracleWordKids.com. And today they've started their series on the fruit of the spirit. You don't want to miss it. Maddie and Alex are killing it. And they're doing such a great job. And it's awesome to see kids watching from around the world and downloading the Bible study. Uh, we want to raise the children up in this faith for the next generation of spiritual leaders. And so get your kids and grandkids involved. They will love it. I love you. I'll see you again in the morning. Carolyn will see you too. Have a blessed day. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.